0: at the conclusion of that, and they'll, they'll pass on the plates. So let's, let's bow. God, we, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to worship you today. And God, as I was reminded on Friday as the chapel service took place, that meeting together, even in small groups, singing a few songs and reading scripture is a powerful thing. And so as we have gathered here this morning, God, would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would we grow in our faith with you this morning as we hear from uh, Tony and Janet and, and the work that they're doing? Would that encourage our hearts and, and would it give us an excitement about being missional here in our own community? And so, God, we pray that as as the fall season begins and some of our ministries start up again, that you would give us great opportunities to share with, to encourage, to just build relationships with those in our community who don't know you, that we might have opportunity to share with them who you are and what it means to follow you. God, would you give us courage and boldness to to be willing to be that vulnerable with people, and and we pray that their hearts would be open to hearing about all that you have done. God, we thank you for all those who have signed up to help out with these ministries. They're all great in in theory, but without the people to step in and help these things run, they, they just can't. And so I thank you so much for those who have stepped in and said, I'm willing to help in this area. Just pray that you would bless those volunteers for their willingness and that through those ministries that their hearts and their faith would be encouraged. God, we pray for our community. We pray that um, as word gets out about some of these opportunities uh, to come and to get some food and to build some relationship, we pray that people would be willing to come through the doors of the church, be at work already in their hearts and be preparing them for when they walk through the door. God, for all the other ministries, even for Sunday school this morning, we are so excited to be able to have people in place to teach our kids and to spend the time needed and the effort needed to prepare and, and make this ministry work. And so we just pray for our children. Would you be at work in their hearts? And as they go up in just a few minutes here, would Would you just reveal truth to them in a way that they can understand and and know what it means? God, we want to pray for our seniors this morning, and specifically, I think of Clara and Biggie and Blanche as well. Would you just be at work in their bodies and in their minds? Would they know that they are prayed for regularly by their church family? Would they know that they are cared for? And God, we pray for those who are unwell or fighting illness or, or physical challenge. And, and we think of Janet this morning and we just pray that as she goes in for her MRI that you would do clear things through the doctors and, and the people, the team that's going to oversee that. We pray that the source of the problems would be figured out and that she would be able to return to health. Would you just comfort them today as they're there? God, we also want to pray for the condition of our community and our country and our government and our world. God, we know that you are in control and we know that you have plans and purpose and everything. And and even in the moments where we don't see and we can't understand exactly what's going on, would you help us to trust that you are in control? Help us to know that you have plans. And God, we know in scripture it says to pray for our government and so we do that this morning. God, would you be at work in the hearts and in the minds of all those in our Canadian government system? Would they have some kind of experience, some kind of understanding about who you are and would you be revealing yourself to them so that they would make choices that that aren't for themselves but that are for the good of our country? God, we... Lastly, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are unable to meet. Again, we are so blessed to have this opportunity right now to to sit together, to worship together, to open Scripture, and and, and it's just a normal part of our lives. and, and, And we're so grateful for that, but God, we know there are people that that is not a reality for them. And so we pray for them that they would have strength and commitment to follow you, even in the midst of very, very difficult circumstances, many of which we can't even begin to imagine. But God, we walk beside them. We pray for them. And lastly, God, as we give of our tithes and our offerings to you this morning, we know that everything is already yours. And so we don't give to you because somehow you need it. We give to you because we want to be faithful stewards of what you have given to us. And so, God, would you bless the gift and would you bless the giver? And would your kingdom grow directly through what we're about to contribute this morning? Go with us now. We love you. Amen. Okay, kids, I didn't forget. So for our teachers who are at the back, they're ripping out. Uh, If you want to follow them, that would be great, and they'll connect you upstairs, and if you get lost, just go back up the stairs. All right, we have missionaries here that uh, I've only met this morning. How many of you have met Tony and Janet in person before? Okay, so you have a lot of intro work to do here. Uh, Come on up, guys. It's great to have you. They are serving uh, in Whitehorse, so not too far, but also just far enough. Um, so they'll, they'll come and they'll share. They've got video and, and a presentation, and then we'll open scripture together. So let me just pray for you guys as we begin, and, uh, and then we'll pass the mic off. God, thank you for Tony and Janet. Thank you for their willingness to serve you, for their desire to serve you. As they share with us now, would we be encouraged and would we be excited to partner with them however we can. Be with us in these moments now. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Greg. Janet will be coming up here shortly, but I'll get things kicked off here. Uh, this, it's wonderful to be here at Banff Park Church. I think it's been at least four years uh, since the last time we had a chance to share with you. And we really appreciate this church's partnership with us in ministry and prayer and support over the past nine years. Janet and I serve with the Northern Canada Evangelical Mission. Uh, It's a mouthful, so we like saying NCEM instead. So I'll be saying NCEM most of the time from now on. The vision of NCEM is by faith to establish strong, indigenous, multiplying churches. NCEM is an interdenominational faith mission, That began in 1946, or approximately 76 years ago. Along with field missionaries like Janet and I, NCM has a TV department that produces the Tribal Trails uh, TV program. There are also Bible camps, a print shop, an aviation department, and radio ministries. We thank God that in the past five years uh, or so, we've had 30 New missionaries join us, but we're praying the Lord of a harvest for even more missionaries, especially for those who call to help out in a headquarters state uh, situation in uh, in our finances and uh, print shop and things like that. We yeah we live as Pastor Greg mentioned in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. This past July marked 30 years since we first started our ministry with NCM in a small community called Pelly Crossing. We have a PowerPoint that I'd like to show now to give a quick pictorial journey of some of the ministries we've been involved in over the years. One day, shortly after we had moved uh, back to Whitehorse from uh, Lac La Biche, uh, in the superstore parking lot, uh, a man by the name of Reverend Martin Carroll uh, came over to us and said, uh, "Tony, you're just the kind of guy I'd like to see in jail." And and I was thinking to myself, "Yes, Martin, I really love you too." Um, at any rate, yeah, I actually had been involved with uh, jail ministry uh, over the years, and uh, um, leading chapels, uh, visiting some uh, inmates uh, uh, at their request. Uh, Reverend Martin, he stepped down as the chaplain, uh, I think in February, and since April 1st of this year, I became the new part-time chaplain at the Whitehorse Correctional Center. I go in two mornings a week to uh, to visit uh, for those who want to be visited one-on-one, and then I arrange uh, chapels, church services, and other religious uh, gatherings there and uh, do some things uh, on behalf of the jail to build connection in, in the community.
2: A main part of my ministry is walking alongside women in whatever life is bringing along their path. And it's humbling, it's a blessing, and it's a great joy just to have a small part in seeing God's transforming work in their lives. Pam, and that's not her real name, but Pam and I met at a camp. And when she heard that I had taken a little bit of counseling training, she asked if I would be willing to meet with her. Pam had met with a lot of secular counselors, and she was interested in getting some Um, Bible perspective on some of the things that were going on in her life. Now, Pam lives in one of the rural communities in the Yukon, and so we met over Messenger. And her life story is full of a lot of trauma. And about six years ago, someone had invited Pam to church, and it took her six months before she was ready to attend. And that was only because the building where they met did not look like a typical church building. And as Pam and I met, I soon learned that she did not like the Psalms. She had read through the Bible once. She was on her second time reading through it, and she was dreading coming to the Psalms. Now, I love the Psalms. And so we talked about how the Psalms cover a wide range of human emotion, how the authors brought a lot of their questions and their thoughts to God, And how they also tell us a lot about God's character. And over the next month or so, it seemed that it was always a psalm that would come to my mind as something to share with her to speak into the circumstance we were discussing. And one day, Pam says to me, I no longer dread that the psalms come after Job. I'm looking forward to reading them. Now, Pam and I won't be meeting weekly any longer. She's got a full-time job. And that is exciting and an answer to prayer.
1: One of the constants in my ministry over the years has been meeting with men, sometimes in a group setting like a, a men's breakfast or a men's prayer breakfast. Uh, but more often, it's one-on-one meeting uh, in a coffee shop or going through the drive through and grabbing a coffee and, and going for a drive. Uh, aside from the cost of fuel, which has become a little bit of an issue from time to time this past year, uh, going for a, a drive while having a coffee has some clear benefits. Sometimes a simple change of scenery, and not quite uh, like here, you, you, you guys do pretty good scenery here, but Whitehorse actually has some nice views around it as well, and uh, and sometimes that change of scenery from downtown Whitehorse to out in the country, seeing God's creation, can really give them a different perspective. Can really clear the mind. Uh, men will often uh, open up a bit more uh, in a in a car rather than in uh, in a restaurant. And while I have done Bible studies and prayed with people in a restaurant. For a lot of men, they feel more comfortable doing that type of thing in a vehicle, in a more private context. One person I've been seeing more uh, frequently recently is a man named Floyd, uh, a First Nation man uh, whose background is Clinkit, And although Clinkit uh, doesn't sound the way it's spelled, it's spelled T-L-I-N-G-I-T. And... Uh, He came to know the Lord about 30 years ago, but in his own words, he said that uh, he was living in the world for many of those years. Uh, About five years ago, he began to seek the Lord more earnestly in his life and began attending the Salvation Army Church. Then when the church plant that we're involved with began meeting in the Salvation Army building, he started coming to our services as well. Um, after a bit of time, we started meeting for coffee and going for drives, and then we uh, started going through this Who is God booklet that we have quite a few uh, copies of over at our display, and it has uh, things to read and um, QR codes that you can pull up videos uh, on, on your phone. We went through that together. Uh, he really has a desire to grow in the Lord. He has some health benefits that uh, he uh, struggles with, he, uh, and so we have prayed about those things, and while he sees some noticeable improvement, he talks about how he struggles as to why didn't God just heal him completely on that. We wrestle with things like that. But one thing that I've been really encouraged uh, by Floyd is the attempts he makes himself to try witnessing to First Nation people. And sometimes uh, I have thought in the past, well, First Nation persons should find it easier to uh, witness to First Nation people. Uh, But that's not uh, necessarily the case. He has endured quite a bit of opposition and has been verbally abused uh, for talking to people about the Lord, I tried to encourage him to, uh, not to give up. That God may be using him much more than he realizes, and uh, and of course we pray together uh, for the, the people he is witnessing to.
2: The church that we are part of, the Northern Collective Church, is a four and a half year old church plant in Whitehorse, and we've been involved in the leadership of it since the beginning, planning stages. And the vision of NCC, as we call it for short, is to see thriving gospel-centered churches in all Yukon communities. Now, we already have relationship with people in Pelly Crossing from having lived there in the 90s, so that is one of the communities that our church leadership desires to focus on. Back in the summer of 2019, before all this COVID stuff started happening, Tony and I hosted a youth group from B.C., that did a five day children's club in Pelly Crossing. And the community was very welcoming and appreciative. Like one person brought a pot of stew for all 15 of us, just things we weren't even expecting. And the person that we were working with from Pelly to um, organize things asked if a kids' ministry like that could happen again. So our church began to plan a summer ministry for summer of 2020. COVID canceled that. We began to plan one for summer 2021, and you can probably guess what happened. COVID canceled that. <laughs> and this summer, it just wasn't going to work out. But from August 2020 to this summer, there were many times when the communities in the Yukon were closed to outsiders coming to visit. But the Lord opened the door to Pelly Crossing. For Tony and I, by him being asked to officiate funerals, 11 of them in 24 months. And so that's kind of become a new ministry. That really wasn't something we did much of before. But after the fourth funeral in Pelly, we both sensed that we were again seen as part of the community. Now, Pelly Crossing is a three hour drive, so officiating a funeral makes for a long day. And we've been not, we have not been staying overnight in the community because the motel only has six rooms and those are filled with workers and people's homes are full and no one had extended an invitation for us to stay. And this August, the beginning of August, there was a funeral for a lady who know, we knew quite well. And so we decided that we were going to spend the night and visit people So we borrowed a friend's van where the seats could fold back. We had an air mattress. We had our sleeping bags. We were set. And after the funeral and the meal, I thanked the coordinator for all her work. And when it came up that we were staying in a van, and it was raining steadily and had been for hours, she said to me, you know what? I think the wellness suite would be available. Let me check. It was. And soon we were warm and dry in a fully furnished upper uh, floor of a three-bedroom house. It was more than we could have asked for or imagined. And at that same funeral, another lady who had been in our children's ministry when we lived in Pelly, she said that if we gave her a few days' notice that we were coming, she would put her RV in the campground and we could stay there. Obviously, that one is more seasonable, but it's another welcoming offer of a place to stay.
1: Over the past five months or so, we've been able to visit uh, Pelly Crossing a few times without it being for a funeral. On one of those visits, we saw a lady named Tara, the person who we had worked with uh, to organize this summer children's ministry. We also met her partner, Dibs. They asked us if we could bring Bibles to them that they would have, uh, be able to have on hand when people asked them if they had a Bible. Now, it was clear from our conversation with Tara and Dibbs that they have uh, kind of a, all roads uh, lead to heaven, there, that there are many ways to God. And uh, we'd like you to pray with us that uh, uh, for these visits to Pelly Crossing and, and other places, uh, pray for, uh, for people like Tara and Dibbs that they would come to see and understand that, just, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, uh, and, but we were really appreciative of their openness, uh, especially their, their desire to see another Children's Bible Club uh, next summer. Uh, September 1st of, of this month, uh, we were able to spend a day in Pelly Crossing with our pastor, uh, Harrison Kwok. This trip had been something that had been hoped for for almost two years, uh, but because of COVID and other things that came up, it just hadn't happened. We were able to give Pastor Harrison a tour of the community, share stories of our time there, introduce them uh, to, to introduce him to some people there, and spend time with two ladies, uh, Catherine and Shirley, uh, who Janet does phone Bible study with, and who are believers uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We were able to see Tara and give her the requested Bibles, and she, it's interesting she said you'd be surprised who all asks for Bibles. Our hope and prayer is that people will actually read these Bibles uh, because over the years we've seen that some see a Bible as a good luck charm, something to have in your vehicle to give you safety in your travel, some, something to just have in your pocket to, to, to protect you. Well, I'm not ruling that out as a possibility Uh, Bibles are meant to be read and to transform people's lives. A Children's ministry uh, uh, was also part of our conversation, uh, children's ministry for next summer. And Harrison and Janet and I are hoping that uh, next month in October that we'll be able to make another trip to Pelley to discuss and plan towards the children's ministry further.
2: In February, a lady who was in our children's and youth ministry when we lived in Pelly Crossing called me, and she said, I got your phone number from my, my mom. I've been reading the Bible, and I don't understand much. I wish I had listened more when I was in your children's and youth ministry. But since then, there's been sporadic texts and phone calls to talk about what she was reading in the Bible. And then just before we headed down um, to... Where are we? Alberta here. Um, I got a text from her, and she said, Hi, Janet, I'm going to be in Whitehorse this fall for school, so can we meet up? Maybe I could go to your church. And I just breathed the prayer, thank you, Lord. It just looks like there will be more opportunities to connect with her on a consistent basis. Now, starting Friday, there is a ladies' retreat in Dawson City. And I've invited a couple of ladies from Pelly Crossing. One especially is very interested. She's one of the ladies I do the phone Bible study with. She's a believer, and she longs for more Christian fellowship. But there's so many obstacles that could come up. Health, a death in the community, other family members drinking, fear of the unknown, road closure. Um, Pray with me that she would come. And pray also for strength, our plan is to get home Wednesday around supper, Lord willing. And Friday, I'd be heading up to Dawson, which is a six-hour drive. So I just yeah, appreciate prayer for that.
1: The last time we came here, I believe we shared that we were member care uh, coordinators with NCM. At the end of June, we stepped away uh, from that role as member care coordinators, uh, and the main, main reason was that, uh, that we could give more focus and attention to our growing field ministry opportunities in the Yukon. Uh, as you've heard uh, over and over again, Pelly Crossing is a, a big uh, concern of ours. The door to that community is wide open, even more wide open than when we lived there. Uh, we're not sure uh, where this openness will all lead to, but you can pray that we would be faithful, that we would have discernment from the Lord and safety and strength uh, for traveling and, with, and continuing to connect with people. We have a display over in that direction, and if you have time after this service, we'd love to uh, chat with you over there. Uh, a lot of materials from uh, videos to uh, those Who is God uh, booklets, uh, our prayer card um, our prayer card is a couple of years old, and it still says uh, um, member care coordinators, or we apologize for that. Uh, you can take a black marker and uh, erase that. There's also Northern Lights, uh, uh, a back issue that featured our uh, church planting uh, uh, ministry or, um, or opportunity, and so you can uh, read about that in there. Uh, again, thank you so much for uh, giving us this opportunity to share this morning. Now, uh, we're going to transition towards uh, uh, the message, and uh, so feel free to stand up and, and stretch, change position. If uh, uh, you're some of you are like me, uh, sometimes uh, sit too long and parts of the body start to ache, uh, Eyelids grow a little heavy, and, and so on. I'd like to uh, start off with a few questions. And feel free just to sh- shout out an answer, or whisper an answer if you feel more comfortable with that. Who went through about 12 years of slavery and imprisonment before becoming one of the most powerful political leaders of his day in that in the then known world Joseph that's right who was rejected as a leader and then went into hiding for 40 years before becoming the very the leader of the very nation who rejected him Moses that's correct and third Who was chosen by God to lead Israel and then was on the run for almost 10 years before he became king? David, three for three. I wish I had some Tim Hortons cards to give his prizes. You deserve it. Joseph, Moses, and David. Uh, Three of the most famous men from the Old Testament. Three of the most influential leaders of their time, and as my questions alluded to, they went through each went through a time of waiting on God before leading their people. Although you may want to question whether Moses was really waiting on God uh, in the same way that Joseph and David was, and we'll explore that question a little bit more later. But I hope that we can see that even Moses' story offers an important, perhaps, flip side to this subject of waiting on God. Now, this time, I'm not looking for an audible answer from you. This is more of a question for reflection. How would you assess your own waitability, your own ability to wait on God? For myself, while I like to think that compared to, let's say, 20 years ago, I'm I'm more able to wait on the Lord, I have to admit that uh, from time to time this past year, I have struggled to wait upon the Lord. This morning, I'd like to offer that through Joseph, Moses, and David, we can learn from them how we can wait upon God today. The first of these that I want to talk about is Joseph. I'm a big fan of Joseph. The Bible chapter that I want to start on, uh, if you want to look it up, is Genesis 39. Here, Joseph is in an in-between time in his life. Between what? Joseph is in between having a dream from God about being a ruler And actually becoming that ruler. He had a wonderful hope, a wonderful dream, a wonderful vision about the future. However, in that in between time, things were not all that wonderful. And we start off in reading Genesis 39 when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders. And we may ask now, why is Joseph being taken to Egypt? By Ishmael traders. Well, long story short, his brothers and he had eleven of them. Eleven of them, they didn't like him. He was daddy's favorite, and uh, they didn't like that he seemed to brag about these dreams he had and that he was going to rule over them one day. So J- Joseph's brothers, when Joseph had sent was sent by dad to check on how they were doing. Uh, grabbed him, beat him up, threw him in a well, and then sold him to these Israelite or Ishmaelite traders. How old was Joseph? Well, a couple of chapters earlier, it says he was 17. Uh, Now, a couple of chapters later, he, I would estimate, would be 18 to 20 at this point. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Joseph is sold a second time, but there is hope in who he was sold to. Was Potiphar an obscure man? No, he had a prominent position as captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. In verse 2, we read that the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So, everything is going well. Joseph was working hard. God was blessing his work, and, uh, and he may have been thinking, uh, okay, you know, it shouldn't be long now. God will cause the dream of being a ruler to come true soon. Now, for the sake of all who might be listening in here, I'll just summarize what happens next. Joseph is asked to do something. That would have been very bad in the eyes of God and in the eyes of his master, Potiphar. So Joseph said no. This person then gets angry and falsely accuses Joseph of doing something bad anyway. And then we read that Potiphar took Joseph and threw him in the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So just when Joseph may have been thinking that things were going to get better, things got much, much worse. There's a lesson here. While obedience is always the right thing to do, obedience isn't always a guarantee of positive results. But in verse 21, we read that the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite of the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. This is in chapter 40 now, verse 2. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for, some, for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? Joseph asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead, tell me your dreams. So the two men told their dreams to Joseph, and Joseph told them what the dreams meant. Then Joseph said to the cupbearer, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well with you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he may let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland And the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, even though I did nothing to deserve it. So, three days later, the two men were released, and Joseph's explanation of the dreams came true. Joseph may once again have had his hopes up that he was going to be released soon. But day after day after day went by, and nothing happened. Why? Genesis 40, verse 23 says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. And as a result, Joseph had to spend another two years in prison. In total, he might have spent uh, anywhere from eight to up to 12 years in prison, having nothing, done nothing to deserve it. Now, it would be easy to think that all those years were wasted years, just rotting in jail. But that was not the case. We read in Psalm 105, verses 17 to 21, Then God sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household, and he became ruler over all the king's possessions. So finally, the dream God gave Joseph of being a ruler did come true. Pharaoh had a couple of dreams, and suddenly the cupbearer had a light bulb moment. Oh, Joseph. Joseph was released from prison, told Pharaoh that the dreams that he had Uh, indicated that there was going to be seven years of bumper crops followed by seven years of famine. Then Pharaoh made Joseph his second in command. Those eight to 12 years were not wasted. Psalm 105 verse 19 says there were years of character refinement. It was the development of characteristics that he would need to become ruler of the people of Egypt and much of the then-known world, including the brothers who had betrayed and sold him as a slave. Perhaps you have had to settle for a lower position in life while hoping for a job that would be a better fit for you. My encouragement to you is, like Joseph, to try to honor the Lord with your best efforts in the job that you have. Then leave the ifs and the whens of a possible promotion in the Lord's hands. In the parable of the three servants, Jesus said two of the servants heard from their master, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We can be faithful servants like Joseph. Joseph also understood that God is always at work, and that God has a plan. In Genesis 15, their father Jacob passes away. Then the brothers start to worry that Joseph might take revenge on him for the way they treated him when he was a teenager. Listen to this. But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Our second man is Moses. Although the story of Moses that I want to talk about is in Exodus 2-4, to I'm going to borrow Stephen's Reader's Digest version in Acts 7, verses 18-36. to There, Stephen says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him him up as her own son. Moses was educated with all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his people, his own people, would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you were brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Now I'd like to interject here that Moses' response to God was not an immediate yes. Isaiah, when he heard God ask, who will go for us? He replied right away, here I am, send me. When God called Moses, Moses did say, here I am. But when God said he was sending him To Pharaoh, Moses said, send someone else. Some of us may relate to Moses, um, have had similar thoughts, when a difficult job needs to be done. I would like to explore that a little bit. Didn't Moses have leadership aspirations? I would say yes. In Acts 7.25, we read, Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they didn't. So what's going on here? Perhaps it's the same reason you and I might hesitate to do something that God might be asking us to do. In my opinion, Moses was well qualified for the tasks God was calling him to. He grew up in Pharaoh's home, or the former Pharaoh's home, so he knew his way around. He knew how to speak Egyptian, and he probably knew this new Pharaoh by name. Moses had a heart for his people and a heart for his people's suffering and wanted their deliverance. Yet Moses asked, who am I to go before Pharaoh? What's going on here? Doesn't he see that he's the right person for the task? It may relate back to when one of the Israelite men asked Moses 40 years earlier, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Just as Moses thought that he may be in an avenue of deliverance for his people, this, this question comes up, a question of outright rejection. Did these words of rejection still ring in his ears 40 years later? Proverbs 18, 18 verse 21 in the New King James Version says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words of rejection could be words of death to someone. All the qualifications that you and I and God sees can go out the window because of words of rejection. I'm having trouble with the pages here. While we shouldn't underestimate God's ability to use people, what God may do through people, including you and me, we shouldn't minimize how damaging words of contempt and rejection can be. It can cause people who may be hearing a call of God to hesitate. And this is the flip side of this message of waiting upon the Lord. Sometimes there may be a call to leadership, but someone hasn't been waiting for that call. It might be the very last thing a person wants to do. You may have gone through some painful uh, events in your past. People may have said things that were just plain devastating to you. And perhaps this is holding you back from saying yes to something that the that the Lord may be calling you to do, what, whatever that may be. Perhaps you and the Lord need to talk about it. Talk to the Lord, the wonderful counselor, about it. And then if this is a place where you are in your journey, I'm sure Pastor Greg would Uh, would love to explore that and pray with you about that as well. Stephen goes on to say, "...the same Moses that they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge, he was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed many wonders and signs at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness." Sometimes when you go through a a time, a a difficult time, sometimes it is good to take uh, a step back before perhaps trying at leadership again. But in most cases, we shouldn't have to wait 40 years before trying again. Finally, there's David. How old was David when Samuel anointed him as king? It says that he was just a boy, uh, probably between 10 and 15 years of age. How old was he uh, when he fought Goliath? Again, we don't know exactly. His brothers were in the army, and people were not supposed to serve in the army until uh, they were 20 years old. And so, uh, because David was not yet in the army, he was less than 20. Uh, One place uh, when uh, David goes to Saul and says, I'm going to go and uh, uh, fight Goliath for you. Uh, Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Um, Again, don't know exactly, but probably David was a teenager this time. But we do know when David became king. 2 Samuel 5 verse 4 says, David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. So it was likely that 15 years or more elapsed after David was anointed by king until he finally became king. And for almost uh, 10 of those years, he was on the run because King Saul wanted to kill him. Now, there was a couple of chances that he had that he could quicken God's plan to make him king. And one of them is in 1 Samuel 26, when he and a guy named Abishai went down into Saul's camp as they were sleeping. When they got right up to uh, King Saul, Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't have to strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come, or he will, and he will die, or he will perish in battle. David understood the importance of waiting on God's timing to become the leader of Israel. And sometimes there can be temptation for us to advance our own cause Uh, at the expense of others. There can be a temptation to use things like criticism, have truths, or putting someone down behind their back. While our words about others should not be overstated flattery, at the same time, our words uh, to others or about others should be words to build up and to bless. I find it interesting that David took the throne of Egypt at the age of 30. It says that Joseph took uh, the leadership in Israel at the age of 30. And we read that Jesus started his public ministry at the age of 30. And this part is a partial answer to the question, can we see Jesus anywhere in these stories? I think we can. Joseph, Moses, and David are all seen as men who saved or delivered people. God used Joseph to save people from starvation. God used Moses to deliver his people from the Egyptians. And God used David to deliver Israel from their enemies, in particular, the Philistines. All very impressive, but small compared to the work Jesus did for us to save us from our sins through his death, through his shed blood, and through his resurrection. And that's the message we need to bring to our lost world. And I'd like to ask Pastor Greg to come and close our time.